Well, turn with me to the book of Romans, seventh chapter. Been on a, a bit of a journey with this and interrupting. It'll be interrupted again as we go into uh, the 40 days before Easter. And so we'll be uh, focusing our attention on, on Easter and on, on one of the greatest uh, events that we know of, the greatest event that we know of, and that is the, the one who came to give us life and to rise again out of the grave so that we could have life. And so I'm excited about that. I hope you are too. Uh, one of the highlights of our year and one of the greatest uh, times where we can remember the promises and live uh, in, the, in the power of the resurrection, not burdened by the circumstances of life, not, not burdened by what this world only offers, but free because of what is offered through the life of our Savior. Romans 7, and if you need a Bible, uh, Stephen is passing a Bible around. If you raise your hand, uh, he'll get a Bible to you. We, uh, we like uh, it when people um, read God's Word and look for themselves at Scripture. Thank you, Stephen. Are you ready with me? You there? Almost. I know some just got the Bible. So, Romans 7. We're going to start with the 14th verse. Are we together? All right. All right. Let's do it. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is no longer I, myself, who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature or, better interpreted, flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature, or my flesh, a slave to the law of sin. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Now nobody can relate to this passage, right? I, I, I just, what, what, I, what I think about this passage when, when I see this, is it just really is just like the center passage on this on this Christian thing in, in relationship with God. It's just, it drills down to the very soul and spirit of who we are. 
and reveals to us who we are. You know, we're living in a world that um, is in uh, self-discovery or rediscovery. There's a phenomenon that has been happening today in which people are engaged in the project of self to the world. In 2014, it happened 93 billion times. In 2013, the word was added to the Oxford English Dictionary. And between 2012 and 2014, the term rose uh, in the English language by 17,000%. If you haven't already come to the word yet, it is the word selfie. A selfie is a self-portrait photograph of oneself or of oneself and other people taken with a phone camera held at either arm's length or pointed at a mirror that is usually shared through uh, social media. There's a quote uh, of, a, of an organization called Frontiers in Psychology in the January 2017 edition. Uh, they did a study... Uh, on this, and they said altogether, participants in the study expressed a distant attitude toward selfies with stronger agreement for potential negative consequences than positive. Negative in regards to self esteem and to illusionary world. 82% of the people polled would rather view pictures taken of landscape. Uh, family activities than they would have selfies. Some of the negative conclusions to the study was that the selfies actually caused conflict in relationships, fostering body dissatisfaction, inauthenticity, and narcissistic behavior. That interesting. We're living in a world that is looking for itself in all the wrong places. There's nothing new under the sun. Amen? Today in our passage, Paul and I want to challenge us all to see a picture of our true self through the biblical lens of the gospel. It's been a, controversy, a controversial passage. There has been um, uh, two, two very distinct um, uh, positions on this, on this passage in regards to commentators or scholars, um, and even my own mentor and myself uh, disagreed on this passage. The, t- the two are, or the, the question is this, is the passage talking about a believer or a non-believer? Some wonder if Paul was talking about himself before conversion or after conversion, MacArthur says that one side maintains that a person um, is too much in bondage to sin to be a believer, whereas the other side maintains that a person has too much love for the things of God and too much hatred of sin to be a believer. There are three reasons uh, why um, I have um, taken the position, um, actually four, but three that are biblical. One is just a personal uh, thing, but there's three reasons why I really take the position that is Paul is talking about his um, self after conversion, after he met Jesus on the on the road, um, and uh, and in chapter nine of Acts, 
This is the reason, as Paul has been talking to us for the last uh, few chapters, he's been talking about the new way of the Spirit, about what it looks like to really die to yourself and to rise in and to identify with the death of Jesus Christ and, and, and how he's moving us to now that in Christ Jesus, we no longer have to offer our bodies as, um, as instruments of unrighteousness, but instruments of righteousness. And that, that I think that is one of the, th- um, the main verses that really kind of stuck out to me that there was a time in my life that I could only offer myself to unrighteousness. It was a natural behavior outside of Christ that I did. Didn't think much about it, didn't think um, anything in regards to it. But then when the Spirit came, there came conviction, and there came this opportunity now to not, to, to, to take that which I've been given physically and to move it in the direction of what Christ has done in spiritually in my art. He's given me a new nature. But it's still taking this thing and taking it under control of the new nature. Without the new nature, I can't do it. Amen? It's true. I mean, he, he's, is he the only Savior in the world? Is he on, the only one that, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, is that the only way we can live this Christian thing? Yes. Yes, it is. And so, to me, that is a strong he, he isn't changing paths here. He's still tell, telling us this is the way of the Spirit. This is the way of the Spirit. But what he's doing is he's drilling down inside of us now and saying, I want you to look at you. What's happening inside of you? What's changing inside of you? And get excited about it because there is a new thing happening. The other, uh, the other thing is this. Um, is um, in Romans 7, uh, 7 through 25, 46 times Paul uses the first person singular I to describe the truth of his salvation and the separation of his true self from sin into righteousness. And so uh, those are, for me, two strong arguments for why this is Paul after conversion. But there's another one. I don't know if anybody thinks about this. I do. It, it's, it's where the Bible seems to be contradictory. Did you ever get anywhere that, with that? Did you ever, ever have it where it almost seems that there's contradictions in Scripture? Um, and sometimes God doesn't totally answer it for us. Um, he says in 1 John these words. Um, in the, uh, 1 John 1, 8 through 10, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, God, out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, that's one side of it. Then 1 John 3, 9 says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now, the question that I have is, the answer is here in this passage. Because there is a reality, listen to me, there is a reality that you have a new nature but you still have a flesh that has propensity to sin, okay? Now, if I have a legalist in the room, you're arguing with me. (laughs) You are. I mean, the Pharisees didn't believe this at all. If we follow the law perfectly, we're perfect. But notice what happened to their life. 
Notice how they distanced themselves from everyone. Notice how they, they were unconnected um, to people. In fact, in fact, they would not dirty themselves. Remember the story that Jesus told about the, uh, about the Good Samaritan and how you know, uh, this guy was mugged and robbed and left for dead on the road? What happened? The legalists walked by because, hey, we have to go through seven days of purification. We can't do that. We've got responsibilities. But the Samaritan did. And Jesus' whole point was the fact that this whole Christian thing is supposed to be so deeply rooted within your soul. And my mercy and my love is supposed to be so deeply rooted that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what's going on. Your life is a life that shares the love of Jesus with anybody and everyone. But I don't think you do that if you don't know what's going on inside you. And I think that's what the apostle is really doing here. Um, and so, um, since you become a Christian, has there been a battle? Has there been? Has there been a battle? I mean, becoming a Christian didn't, it wasn't all posies and roses and everything just great and everything. No, no, no. In fact, it probably increased, didn't it? It did. It did. It increased. Because now you're not going with the flow of the culture. You're not going with the flow of the world around you. You're going in a different direction. It's one thing I like about the chosen is that that fish thing they show on the front when it first starts out, when those fish change, they change color, but they change direction too. We're going against the flow. But interesting enough, listen to me, you're going against the flow of your own body. Why do you think the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 that he said, he said I beat this body and I make it my slave so that in the end, after I have preached, I myself will not lose out. Do you think there's pastors that are sitting in front of church and they lose out even though they share the gospel? Yes, they do. Why is that? Because instead of overcoming evil with good, they've been overcome by evil. And so the Apostle Paul is laying this out here. And so as, as we go through, I, I just pray that, uh, I pray that you, uh, you will hear this. And I pray that I speak in such a way. Probably, by far, one of the most difficult passages that I have studied. Probably because of my own wrestling with it. I'll be honest with you. Before I go, I want to I read it in the version of the, of the uh, message. Um, I don't preach out of the message a lot um, because I just, I just believe that uh, the Holy Scripture's got to stand alone, and so I don't, but I think in this instance, it's really, it's really helpful. Just, some of you want to close your eyes and just listen to these words. I, I just think it's so helpful. It says, I can anticipate the response that's coming. 
I know that all God's commands are spiritual, because that, of course, is what a Pharisee would say, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself, then, and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deeply within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. There is no one who can do anything for me. Isn't that the real question? Is there no one who can do anything for me? Not there is no one. Is there no one who can do anything? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever gotten to the point where you say, is there anybody that really can help me? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acts to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Can you relate to that? Is that your experience as well as mine? then we're walking together. And that's important because, because if we feel like we're outside doing something nobody understands and we're outside of this thing and, and I'm being condemned and we're outside this thing, we're not helping each other. We need to realize that we're in a war. We're in a war and we're in a war together. And when a brother and sister gets wounded, we're the ones that pick them up and carry them off. We don't leave them in the, in, in the field. A, a warrior wouldn't. Why would we? And yet, so much of Christian experience has been that way. We have AA. Why? The starter of it said it out loud. He said, the church isn't getting it. They're shooting. They're wounded. Instead of helping them. And he said this, I actually talked to his daughter. He said, the day the church figures this out is the day that, that AA will no longer be needed. Because we're called 
to walk with each other. We're called to pick one another up. Blessed is a man who, when he falls, has someone to pick him up. But you're not going to do that if you don't know yourself. You're not going to do that if, like in Romans 12, you think more of yourself than you ought. You know that's dangerous? It's dangerous to think more of yourself than you ought. And I get it. I get it. I was right alongside of you trying to, trying to make some kind of way, to, trying to find some kind of glory for myself so I could feel like, like I fit in. And so I, I, I really worked hard at trying to make this look out good outside here so that people would accept me and love me. And as an adopted child, you work extra hard because you always wonder, why wasn't I good enough for my mom to keep me? But that glory is garbage. It is meaningless. It's empty. It's empty cisterns that hold no water. It is not about my glory, but the glory of the one who created us, who sent his son, gave us life and life eternal. And so as Paul drills down, I want you to just, we're going to quickly go through this. I, I hope that you're hearing what I'm saying and in your heart seeing it because it's so important. We can so struggle when we don't understand what's going on inside of us, when we, when we experience wrongdoing and then let that turn into, that means I'm wrong as a person, and it destroys people. Even Christians, even those people that, uh, that claim to be Christ are destroyed on a regular basis because they don't let the Holy Spirit drill down inside of them and speak to them. And so, 15 and 16 says... Um, uh, like I said, 14, he was, he was answering uh, the criticism of, uh, of the Pharisees when they said, but you're telling us that there's something wrong with the law, but it's spiritual, it's good. And he says, I know that, I know that, but in the flesh I'm sold as a slave to sin. And then in 15 and 16, he says these words. He says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to our hearts and to have authentic responsibility. Authentic responsibility to see that in of ourselves we are unable to do what we're called to do. That in of ourselves we can't live out this life because we have a flesh, even though there's a change in our life, we have a flesh that, uh, that, wants, to, that wants to go into sin. There's a verse that the Lord has given me in Jeremiah 9, and it talks about, the, about, about boasting. He said, those, there are those who boast in riches, those who boast in strength, those who boast in all kinds of things, but, I, but I'm going to boast in this, that I have, that I understand. He says that you understand God. You understand God. Understanding, it's beyond factual information. It's, it's relational grasping that is received through walking with God. 
When we truly get to know God, two things happen. First of all, we hate anything that stands in our relationship with God. We learn to hate what God hates and learn to love what God loves. The second thing that happens is that we love the borders and guides in our heart uh, that we need. Uh, Psalm 119 uh, says these words about the law. And this is a believer speaking these words to us, so it's, it's not as though it's un, uh, un, unattainable to him or, or no longer applicable to him. It says these words, Teach me, Lord, the ways of your decrees, that I may follow them to the end. Give me understanding, verse 34 says, so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the paths of your commands, for there I find delight. Delight. Can you see the verse jump out with that? Do I delight, is, is, is in my heart, do I delight in God? Do I? Is, is he number one in my life? And that I absolutely love him with everything that I am and desire to do what he wants me to do. I've had some experience with people who call themselves Christians. And Proverbs 8 or 9, 8 says this, Do not rebuke a mocker, for they will hate you. I've had that experience. You know, am I now your enemy because I tell you the truth? Rebuke the wise, and they will love it. You see, the, the Spirit is trying to bring us to authentic responsibility that our hearts are drawn to follow, to, to see, to see that, that there is this thing going on inside. And even though my heart desires to follow God, there is this propensity of my flesh to want to do what it does and, and, and to see that honestly and to take responsibility. Just like Paul did. Paul said, I beat my body and make it my slave. Take responsibility. That is what the Spirit is trying to say to us. 17 through 20 says these words, As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature or flesh, which is a better translation. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do, do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. The second thing is authentic identity. Authentic identity. The power of these passages is that the Spirit is revealing that upon conversion, upon the fact that the Holy Spirit moves into your soul, you're a different person. Your identity is different. We have a hard time with this because for so long, our actions have caused us to believe that that's who we are. And outside of Christ, we were. We were our actions. But inside of Christ, there is a supernatural separation no longer are you your sin. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. Solid and set for all eternity. Yeah, you got it, girl. And yet, there's a propensity within me that wants to sin. 
I really think that um, this really get, drives in at, at the one John passage. How can I not sin because the seed of God lives in me and yet be told that I am not honest? That sin lives in me. Am I calling God a liar? No. The, the reality is that our identity has been separate. Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God uh, divides bone, marrow, soul, and spirit. It drives down to the very core of who we are. Have you experienced that? Has there been a time where the word of God has cut so deeply into you that you can't look to the right or the left? And, and, and as, the, as the preacher's talking, you're saying, dude, you're talking right to me. Now, that's not because he gave you a call that week and said, hey, how can I talk to you? It's because the Holy Spirit wants to speak to your soul and can even use a vessel like this to speak to you. If you'll listen, Jesus Christ, um, in, in Proverbs um, 20, 12, it says that um, ears to hear and eyes to see, the Lord has made both. Jesus said, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, he, Revelation says to the churches, he who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. God is coming to speak to you. He wants you to know that he sees your heart. He knows. Listen to me. He sees that you obeyed him. And you made a really tough life choice. He sees it. And he honors it. He sees you. From a, from a Christian standpoint, why is this an important point? Why is it important to have authentic identity um, and to be able to understand it? There's a, there was a problem with the Pharisees, and it's, it still resides in the church today, that somehow we put a false, um, a false image over top of Christianity that once I become a Christian, I'm a pretty good person. Did Jesus die to make you a pretty good person? He died to make you brand new. He died to make you brand new. And, and, but what happens is when we start to assess ourselves as a pretty good person, how do we do that? How do we? We do it by assessing what other people are doing. Right? We start, we start with saying, you know, well, Patty, I mean, she takes the Hamlet's dog for a walk. She obviously is a really good person. I've never taken kudos for a walk, ever. I don't think I could walk that dog. He jumps on me so much. But we start to use each other. And I, um, um, Rosiera Champagne Butterfield was a, was a lesbian um, a professor at Syracuse, um, at Syracuse College. And, uh, and her life was transformed and changed because uh, a pastor didn't invite her to church, invited her into his home for two years and discipled her. And she said this, after my conversion, I started to look dangerously cleaned up. I'm not. 
well-meaning church ladies who had been raised on the right side of the Christian tracks and who gave themselves earned kudos for good choices thought I was one of them. When I wrote within the lesbian world, I passed, I was one of them. But I'm not. I'm Mary Magdalene. I'm Rahab the harlot. Left to my own devices, I am much more the whore next door than the girl next door. I'm a woman with a past, and Christ's call on me did not cut out of my flesh those past things. Nor did it leave me with a sentiment that Christians are better, nicer, and more honest, and more fun crop of cronies. We're not. No way. At least that's not my experience. I just appreciated her honesty. Because I think that sometimes people evaluate the, the, the success of this thing on how well we look. I want to remind you of the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee stood in the corner and prayed, Lord, thank you so much for not making me like John Venema. I, 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 I don't do what John does. I don't act like him. I, don't, I am so grateful that I'm not like John Venema. And by the way, he's short. Now, of course, I'm bringing that to, 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 to today. But the publican laid on his face and cried out, I don't deserve this. I am a sinner. I don't deserve Jesus Christ. Now, which of them went home and their prayer was heard? People of God, that's not. Now, I know there are some people that push back at a sinner saved by grace, okay? I get that. I'm not talking about belittling, belittling yourself. I'm talking about putting yourself in the right place before God. I am saying that our lives should be lives in such humility that it would be okay for our face to be in the dirt before a heavenly God because it changes who we are. It changes when we, when we have that. Who don't we have compassion for? Somebody once said, I, I despair none to be lost because I look in the mirror and see that God saved me. Who couldn't he save? But do we have that perspective? It's in our identity. It's in our identity. In Jesus Christ. We are God's children. In Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, there is, remember this, Jesus himself came. Jesus himself came. And he came, he was fully God and man. You know what that means? That means that in his body was the propensity to sin. Listen to me. The propensity to sin. No less than you. No less than you. And yet, never once did he sin. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. 
How hard was that for him? I want you to think about your own situation. I want you to think about the temptation that continues to come. Notice to me. The temptation that continues to come back to you time and time again. Listen, get honest with me for a minute here. Holy Spirit's drilling down in your soul. Think about how hard it was for Jesus. No different than you. No less than you. One time I preached on this, and one of the ladies at our church, um, her, her father had just um, uh, did the world record for lifting at 80 years old. I think he lifted 463 pounds at 80. At 80, yeah, at 80 years old. And, and I, I use that as an illustration of what Jesus Christ had to hold up to not sin. And he held the weight the whole time. He held it to the cross, and he went to the cross sinless. That's the identity that he's calling you to. If, you're, if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about today, receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He held every sin that you can think of right now in your mind, every sin that you've done, he sacrificed himself so he could bear that sin and take it. And in believing in him and trusting him, for your life, you too can be free of everything that's been burdening you because you've been taking down the identity of your sin instead of his identity. Those are the only two identities you'll wear. And I know you've been wearing it for a long time. It's time to messy. Let's get over it. You know, I'm wearing a jacket today. I changed my dress because I want people to know, and yes, I, I sometimes wear a t-shirt, because I want people to know it doesn't matter what's out here. What matters is in here. What's inside of me? And so, and so authentic identity. Third, authentic reality. Let's read it. From 21 to 23, it says, so I find this law at work. Oh, oh. Whoa, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, that's your soul, that's your, that is your identity, that is Jesus Christ in you. I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Authentic reality. The passage reveals that there are two spiritual laws that have been created. Do you, did you get that? Two spiritual laws. The first one was in Genesis 2.15 when God came with Adam to the garden and he said, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but the one of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you cannot eat of that one or you will die. It's, it, it, it's, it's the law of God that was set up and then it was developed in the Ten Commandments. And then Jesus Christ summarized it for, for us in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's first and greatest commandment. Second is likewise, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two laws hang all the prophets. Moses and the prophets. So, so the, okay, and so that's the first. It's the law of obedience. No relationship without God, with God without obeying. Right? You who just went through a really difficult time of obeying God. Amazing. It's tough. Then there's another law. It started in Genesis 3, 6. 
It's the law of disobedience. Actually, it started in Isaiah 14 when uh, Satan himself said, I want to be like the Most High, and he was cast out of heaven. But he took it to us, and he said, you can be like God, knowing good and evil. And you living your life, not letting anybody tell you what to do, I, I know what's best for me. That law is a part of your life. Now, and that causes separation. The interesting thing is these two laws are in opposition to each other. Amen? Why would God let that happen? And I don't totally have the answer for that, but God brought an illustration to me. Do you know the opposing law of error? That when right now, I mean, you know, if, 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 I, would take, if I would take you, throw you up in the air, yeah, you would just fall, wouldn't you? Right? There's no friction. There's nothing going to stop you. And yet, and yet, the opposing law of air is the fact that a jet engine can, can be started and air coming across wings can lift multi-ton aircraft in the air. It is the opposing principle of air. And... That, in, in, I can't explain it totally, but that's why God allowed these two laws to stay in opposition with each other. Because Paul said this, what we have is in jars of clay to reveal God's power in us. So the fact that, that you, in the identity of Jesus Christ, live out your life for God is so difficult at times because it takes the power of God to, for you to overcome your flesh and to live in him. But that's the miracle. And that's revealing God to the world. Do you get that? If you'll choose to obey him today, if you choose to follow him today, yes, I, I was talking to somebody on the phone this week, and they said, that, you know, they, they, they said, um, you know, this Christian thing is, you know, I, I, just, I just don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. I said, I get that. You can't, but he can. Receive him, surrender to him, and he can. I said to her, I, said to her, I said, I am not inviting you to a cakewalk. I am not inviting you to something easy. I'm inviting you to a war. A war that's true, a war that's good, a war that's right, and a war that you, all of us, have been equipped for. But you've got to choose to follow Jesus Christ. And so you've got to get real. Authentic reality. Be real. Stop trying to look good. There's a war going on inside there. There's opposing. If you're a Christian, it increases. It doesn't increase when you're not a Christian, you're already given over to the other side. But it increases when you say yes to Jesus and no to sin. Yes, it does. I get it. I get it. This thing is hard. And so, be real. See, the, the, the point is this. We, we cannot avoid walking in the flesh. But through the power of God in Christ, we can avoid not walking in accordance with the flesh. 
Jesus overcame the flesh, and so can we. Fourth, 24, what a wretched man am I who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? It's the authentic question. It is the right question. Wretched in the Old Testament um, was as men would draw closer to God, it would always get darker. When Moses would go into the tabernacle of the meeting, a dark cloud would cover the tabernacle. The word wretches is describing the condition a person comes to realizing that evil still resides in their flesh. In their flesh, not in their identity. In their flesh, not in who they are in Jesus. And so, so God calls us to be holy as he is holy. So we grow in the holiness of God with the consequence of the fact as we move closer, we see ourselves more clearly. And we see the position that our flesh is in. And that's actually what drives us to our knees and our great need for him. Let me, I, I'm not going to have to ask you to raise your hand, but as you've gotten older, have you found yourself more on your knees and on your face before God or less? Yeah, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. I have, I, and you know, I heard, it was in the 80s and I was listening to Dobson and uh, there was a former missionary, been out in the mission field for 40 years. He said, when I got off the mission field, he said, it was like the sewer cap of hell came off. And he said, I was being tempted by things I never thought I was tempted before. I was doing stuff that I never had done before. We don't age out of the flesh being tempted. We don't get old enough so that we no longer face these things. In fact, I think sometimes people, um, you more mature people, you're going to struggle. And that's, that's just life. But that does not mean you can't overcome it. You know what? That's, you know, if you're retired or if you're, if you're like, if, if, you, if you can't get out like you used to, um, Mom Anderson... You can't get out like you used to at 90-something, right? But what? (laughs) But still, but mom can pray. You can pray, hon. You pray for us, okay? Until you're 120, you pray for us. (laughs) But people of God, that is so true. That is so true. This is this is this verse is a is a mature believer because they see the reality that in Christ they have a new identity, but they're still Paul still realizes there's the propensity to sin. And the closer he gets to Jesus Christ, the closer he gets to his father, the more he sees his sin and the more he needs him. And he's saying, What a wretched man am I? Man. Flesh, not spirit. But he sees his propensity. And his cry is, because God is drawing him more and more into his holiness, his cry is, I want to be more like you and less like me. 
And that's, of course, where verse 25a comes in. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you have that in front of you? Would you read that with me out loud? Let's do it right now. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Can we do that with more patience or more passion? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow! Are you kidding me? How can't we dance like David in front of the ark? <laughs> How can't that just Move our hearts to such a passion. You didn't save yourself. Nothing in this world will save you. It'll only cause you anxiety. But in Christ, he, but did you notice, did you notice? It's, is it just deliver? Is it one and done? No, it's delivers. It's a continual thing. It is a continual action that happens that the misconception in Christianity is that salvation is like surgery to the body somebody goes in they cut out a tumor you heal back up and it's all done that's a lie from hell it's more like your kidneys aren't working well and you need a blood transfusion on a daily basis because we need the blood of Jesus Christ every single day of our life, every move of our life. We need the blood of Jesus Christ to cover us. It's not an insecurity of faith. That's not what I'm talking about here. I do believe once saved, always saved. I do believe in that. But it is a continual daily. In fact, the, the reality that you realize more and more that you need Jesus Christ in your life is the fact that you're saved. People who are not saved they don't think about God. They don't care about God. Listen, can I, just for a moment, just for a moment, can you imagine with me? God knit you together in your mother's womb. Knit you together. Put your brain together, your eyes together. They, those are blue. He, I mean, just in your height, I'm sorry, you're taller than me. That, doesn't, that does not make you better than me. <laughs> but but you, you, he knit you together. With it, no, listen to me. Listen to me. Somebody who's, who's not received Jesus Christ. Don't you get the foolishness of not receiving him? Wouldn't you want to be close to the one that literally touched your life and put it together and knit it together? No, he did not cause your sin. No, he did not cause the circumstances that have been around you that you have been burdened under. But he knits you together because you are exactly the way he wants you for the purpose that he has for you. And if you're living unpurposed right now, it's because you don't know the purpose maker. You don't know him. And so... What a wretched man. Holiness. It's a blood transfusion. And then, um, fifthly, uh, 25, um, oh, excuse me, that, that's where I was. Authentic uh, deliverance. Oh, yeah. Um, I was just, thank you, Jesus. Um, Paul knows that Jesus is his only deliverer. You know that some of you don't believe that Jesus is your only deliverer? How do you know that? Because you think that having enough money is going to deliver your life. You think that your fame at work is going to deliver your life. You think that something in the physical world is going to bring salvation to you. And you live it out every day because you've been hearing God's call 
to go into the mission field and yet you're still doing what you're doing and you've not obeyed. And what Carol and the core team has been trying to teach you is the fact that if you'll, take, if you'll dare to lead to grow, if you'll, if you'll lead off, even in your own life, in the decision you know God has been calling you to do, if you'll do it, you'll grow. You'll grow. It's amazing. And so... Paul knew Jesus was his only deliverer. Psalm 18, uh, 1 through 20 says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Salvation is, I was saved by Jesus, I'm being saved daily by Jesus, and I will someday stand before him and realize the fullness of my salvation. It is a constant dependency on Jesus People in Acts said the salvation uh, through the Holy Spirit, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by whence we must be saved. Jesus is the start of salvation. He is the life of salvation. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Jesus is the end of salvation, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. People of God, it's all about Jesus. He's our deliverer. Are you living that way? Are you living that way? Or are you still thinking that's something on this earth? And then finally, uh, something on this earth is going to save you. And then finally, authentic revelation. The battle will continue. So then, so then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. The battle will continue. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as an obedient slave, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. There is no middle ground. Someone once helped me in my life when they said, Wayne, you are a child of God. He says, but you have got to realize there's going to be times that you're going to be tempted to become part of the army of Satan. And you may even pass into that as a temporary soldier, but you are never that again. Every time you do that, fall on your face, repent, and return. I try to get faster at that. So, do you really know yourself? Are you living into authentic responsibility, understanding the true God, and seeing the true you? Is your identity in Christ? If it is not, today is a great day. Is your reality found in the tensions of the two law? Do you see those laws at work within you? Can you see it? That's a miracle that you can see that to rescue you and you need him more desperately as you get older. Are you living under the constant dependency of your deliverer and do you see the every day you must decide to live into your slavery unto Christ? Slavery under Christ. But you're going to be a slave. You're going to be. Today is a great day. In the book of John, uh, it is recorded that Peter, one of Jesus' followers, one of his closest followers, one of the three that was in the door, 
denied Jesus three times. Denied him, didn't know him. And in, in chapter 21, we see Jesus uh, restoring him three times. Jesus, or Peter, do you love me? Jesus said. Peter said, I like you. He said, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? I like you. Feed my sheep. You gotta understand, the Holy Spirit's not here yet. So Holy Spirit's what brings the love of God into a soul of a human being. And, and so three times. And then comes Pentecost, and what happens? Peter preaches one of the, the second greatest message in all the time. Next to this one today. No, I'm kidding. Next, <laughs> no, no. Next to um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, there's no sermon like the Sermon on the Mount. But Peter's was a close second. It was amazing. Right? So a legalist would say, he's got it. It's perfect now. He'll never do anything wrong again. Is that true about Peter? If you read the book of Galatians, uh, they, were, uh, they were ministering to the Gentiles in, in Galatia. And um, Peter was there and Paul was there. And then all of a sudden, uh, some leaders uh, from Jerusalem came and showed up. And Paul observed something. He observed Peter backing away from the Gentiles. And Paul immediately said to him, what are you doing? I said, he said, you, do we need to teach these Gentiles the law of the Jews again? Or is grace enough? I found it interesting that in that backstepping away from God's purpose that Paul would call him out to be a legalist. Do we ever? Are we ever that way? Does God call us to do something and then be back away from it? And we try to justify it and try to live a different life that, um, that God's calling us to. So grow, growing in holy maturity, where the Holy Spirit is drilling down into you and creating holiness. Now, I, know, I, I, I have to speak to the person today that is struggling. You, the Lord has talked to you today, and there is a, there's a sin in your life that you know you need to obey him on. I want to talk to you something about this. The reason you see it is because he lives inside of you. I'll say that again. The reason you see it is because he's living inside of you. Every single one of us struggle against temptation and fall to sin at times. It should be getting less and less. It should be. But the reason we can see it is because he lives inside of us. Do not let the evil one today try to deceive you and say you're not a believer. Don't let that happen. Let the Holy Spirit drill down inside you. Let you see that authentic responsibility. Take responsibility. Repent of your sins. Let the identity lead you. Let reality around you and in your heart and the fact that you are in a war with your flesh lead you. Let the authentic question come in and say, I've fallen again. What a wretched man I am, wretched woman I am. Turn to your, that, that, that's the Holy Spirit revealing that to you. Turn to your deliverer, the one who still delivers, and let him deliver you. And then realize, it's going to continue this way. 
But it's only because God in you that you even see it. Thank God for that. Celebrate that. And then like Paul, beat your body. Not physically, but beat your body. Make it your slave. Because for this pastor, there's no one in this room that I do not want you to not receive in the end what he's called you to do. You've heard it. You've heard it multiple times. If you walk out of here not receiving Jesus Christ, the responsibility is totally on you. He's calling you today. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care if this is the first time. He's calling you. He loves you. He died for you. He desires a life for you, not to sit in a dark corner and have no purpose. He has a life for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Thank you for your patience and for your listening and walking with me through this. It's been a tough passage, but I praise God. In the midst of the difficulty, he is good and he loves us. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, just want to thank you for your amazing mercy and love in our life. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that you've drawn us here together to hear your word. Lord, every single one of us knows that we, we do what we don't want to do, and we don't do what we want to do. And if we don't do what we want to do, then it's no longer us that does it, but sin living in us. That, Father, in our flesh, there is still that propensity. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I feel that. And I pray that, Father, that today you've encouraged us to be authentic, to be real, not to try to cover up and look better than what we are, but to be honest and let your Holy Spirit drill down in. Let it drill down into those, into those uh, fleshly things that continue to want to drive up. And, Lord, give us the strength to fight the good fight, not just within ourselves, because, Lord, there's a beautiful uh, gift that comes out of it, is that we get to fight with others. Lord, let us be that church that takes the compassion of what we learned in our hearts and share it with others and fight with others. We love you and we trust you. In the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen.